0: All right, let's pray together and ask God to meet us uh, in his word. This has been a good morning already, Lord, and thank you that we can open up the scriptures now. And as you promise, would you have your word be alive in us, not just words on a page, but words that communicate living truth of who you are and that we would be strengthened, that we'd be strengthened through your word, I pray today. So come and do a powerful work. Help me to be wise and clear and just give me the heart that I long to have, Lord, to to preach this powerful chapter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. I want you all to be able to have a Bible you can look on. So if if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand because we want to bring one to you so that you can look on. I want you all to have Bibles. So... Raise your hand high. We'll bring one to you. Isaiah 40 is on page 599, by the way, in the Bibles that we're passing out. So, very good. I want you to think about times in your life when you feel weak emotionally weak, psychologically, spiritually weak. Think about those times. We all know what it's like to feel strong. We like that. You know, you feel strong when you look ahead in your future. Everything looks great. And everything in the present is like moving with traction ahead to this great future. That's when you feel strong. But think about the times when you feel weak, when your future maybe looks fearful or dismal or bleak, when there's problems in your present circumstances. So think about those times, just for a second, when you feel weak. And and ask this question. What do you do at those times when you find that you're feeling weak? What do you do? Because nobody likes to feel weak. We all want to feel strong. So what do you do? And there's dozens of possibilities. I mean, some, some of you might, you know, you go shopping, right? Or you go for a jog. Or maybe, you know, you go and eat something or drink something, right? That's, that's a common step that people take. Or maybe you're the kind of person where you sit down and you're going to plan out how you're going to move into the positive. Or maybe maybe you do the psychological thing where you ignore the negatives and focus on the positives. Or... Maybe the kind of person, you read poetry, or you meditate, or you journal maybe, or you call up a friend, or you, you know, check your email, or you see if anybody has liked you on Facebook recently. There's just all kinds of things you can do to, to, try, to try to get strong. The problem with all of those approaches is that none of them give us the strength that we need. None of them give us the strength we long for. I can say that by experience. I've tried, I think, almost all of those, and and I would guess you have too. We know that none of those approaches give us the strength that we long for. But in this chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the God of, of the Bible, gives us an amazing promise. He promises that If you will wait upon the Lord, wait for the Lord, every time you do that, He will renew your strength. He will come to you and strengthen you. Every time. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. This is a huge topic. And this is absolutely relevant for every single person here. Some of you may not yet be followers of Jesus. And you're here learning and and examining and, and absorbing and putting this all together. And we are so glad you're here and we're honored to have a part in your spiritual pilgrimage. But this topic is crucial for you because it will help you get a better feel for what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what you're going to see this morning is that a crucial part of following Jesus is that when you're weak, you can turn to God In the person of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, and every single time you turn to God in your weakness, he will come to you and make you strong. Now that is an amazing promise. And so if if you're like, even like, maybe you're on the fence this morning, saying, I'm learning, I'm putting it together, I haven't quite given my life over to Christ yet. I mean, isn't that reason enough right there? I mean, can you imagine that every time you felt weakness, you could turn to the God, the creator of the universe and because of what Jesus has done, as you wait for him, he will come and strengthen you? It's huge. This topic is also crucial for all of us who are followers of Jesus for, for a couple of reasons. One is, I mean, th- th- just think about it like this when you're strong in the Lord, you can overcome temptation, right? You can be more than a conqueror in any trial that you're facing, right? You are more loving in your family, with your in your marriage, with your children. You're more focused and excellent focused and, and honest and, and working with integrity in your career and your job. You're transformed there. You become more generous to the poor. You become more caring for the needy and the widows and the orphans. Everything flows out of strong hearts in the Lord. So just think of what would happen if every person here at Mercy Hill Church, what if every time we became weak, which happens frequently to all of us, we could get strong. So that everybody in Mercy Hill Church is we're just moving into strength, moving into strength, moving into strength. Think of what would happen. We would be strong and Christ would be glorified and the gospel would advance. So this topic is huge for all of us. So let's dig into Isaiah chapter forty to see what Isaiah says. And I thought the best question just to kind of get a feel for what's going on in this chapter is to start by asking. What was Israel, the nation of Israel, what were they feeling at this point? Now, I just want you to put yourself in their shoes, kind of give you a historical background so you see what's going on at the time that Isaiah's writing this. Centuries before Isaiah writes this, God had delivered Israel from being slaves in the nation of Egypt and had brought them into the promised land, a land, how's it described, flowing with milk and honey, right? Right? And so they were there in this promised land, and God lavishly blessed them. I mean, he just poured out his favor upon them. He brought harvest after harvest, gave them political security, multiplied them, and all the nations around were just in awe of the the favor that God had shown upon them. But Israel, for the most part, repeatedly turned their backs on God. Again and again and again. And God sent prophets and sent teachers and sent preachers to to call them back. But again and again and again, Israel turned their backs on God until finally God said, I need to do what I promised I would do. And God brought Assyria to conquer the northern kingdom as punishment. And then God brought Babylon to conquer and invade the southern kingdom and take many of them away um, in exile to Babylon in chains. And so Isaiah is writing this chapter for those who have survived the Assyrian invasion and the Babylonian invasion. So if that was you, how would you have felt? And we see three clues in this chapter. First of all, in verse 1, we see that the people needed comfort. God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So they needed comfort, first of all. And then secondly, in verse 27, we see that they were feeling forgotten. Isaiah says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? So they were feeling forgotten by God. And one other clue in verse 29, we see that they were feeling faint and weak. Verse 29, He, God, gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And then verse 31, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mounted up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. So they're in need of comfort, they're feeling forgotten by God, and they're feeling faint and weak. So they're weak. This is the situation, the condition that Israel finds herself in at this time that Isaiah writes this chapter, they're weak. And so what does God call them to do? Look at verse 31. I've already referred to it a couple times. Here's what God calls them to do through Isaiah. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God calls them to wait for the Lord. And he promises that everyone who waits for the Lord you'll renew your strength. It is by waiting on the Lord, God will come and you will be strengthened as a result. So here's the million dollar question. What does it mean to wait wait for the Lord? What does it mean to to wait for the Lord? Now you could easily think that it's like if you're waiting for the light rail. You just kind of sit there, right? Kind of kicking back, sitting there. That's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word means to seek something with eager expectation, you're seeking something with eager expectation. I want to illustrate this. I've asked three people to come up here and be volunteers. So if you could come up and sit in these chairs right now, real quick. We'd appreciate it very much. You know who you are, okay? One of you gets the present. That's going to be a bad thing, though, just to let you know. Anyway, okay, too bad. All right. Thanks. You're a good man. Okay. Now, if you could just, like, like, like kick back, put your legs out, and you're just, like, got your arms folded, and you're, like, waiting for the light rail to come. Okay. This is not what waiting for the Lord means, okay? Because again, waiting for the Lord means, the Hebrew word, to seek something with eager expectation. Is, keep slouching. Slouch just a little bit more. Okay, now is she waiting for something with eager expectation? No. So if, if this is what she's doing, if this is what you're doing when you're waiting for the Lord, will you receive strength? No. Okay, now, this person is seeking The Lord with eager expectation, so the Lord will give him something else besides the Lord. So hold this out. So you're leaning forward. Lean forward. Okay, you're you're slouching. You're leaning forward. You're holding this out in front of you, and you're like you're you're like you're like like money or like health or earthly comforts. So you're earnestly seeking the Lord for something else besides the Lord. So is this person waiting upon the Lord? No. Again, nothing wrong with having God provide other things, but if you're seeking the Lord mostly for something else, that's not waiting for the Lord. So is this person going to receive strength from the Lord? No. Okay, I need a little more confidence here. No. Okay, now, Alex. Alex is, you're holding this out in front of you. So you're leaning forward. You're you're earnestly seeking something, and you're, but what you're seeking is the Lord, okay? You know that God is your all-satisfying treasure. And whatever else is happening in your life, he will take care of it all. You're seeking him first. So you're you're waiting for the Lord. You're saying, Lord, come, show yourself to me. Meet me, satisfy me, strengthen me. The the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you leaning forward? Are you you seeing that now? So, all right. So will Alex get strength from the Lord? Yes. Yes. Okay, strength from the Lord over here? No. Strength from the Lord here? No. Strength from the Lord here? Yes. Let's give him a big round of applause. I need my Bible back though. All right. Now. So it's, it's crucial. Don't misunderstand. Waiting for the Lord doesn't just mean, well, I'm going to just going to live my life and go on my merry way and, and God's going to somehow strengthen me as I... No, no, no. It means that you intently focus on the Lord. You come before him and you set your heart upon him. And we're going to talk, see what Isaiah says about specifically how to do that. Because when you do that, what Alex was doing, he promises, let's just read the verse again. Chapter 40, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You will mount up with wings like eagles. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. Eagles build their nests on cliffs. Cliffs have thermal updrafts that always like you know El Capitan, right or Half Dome, right? Thermal updrafts going up. Now if a if you're an eagle and you stand on the edge of your nest with your wings folded and a thermal updraft is going on, nothing's going to happen, right? But if you open up your wings, what will happen? You will soar, right? Hundreds and thousands of feet. Are you like doing this to soar? No, no, no. You're just opening up your wings. And the updraft of the Holy Spirit blowing up through the words of Scripture catches your wings, and that thermal updraft, and you will rise with strength. Now, how many people who wait for the Lord are going to be experiencing that? Oh. All of them. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's figurative language. It doesn't mean that you become whatever, you know, a bionic person or something, but it it means that you will be constantly strengthened with the presence of the Lord as you wait upon him. That's what he promises to do. So just let this sink in. This is an amazing truth. The creator God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his word here is promising you Every time you're weak, every time you're weak, if you will wait for the Lord, earnestly seek him every time, he will pour out his strength upon you. You'll be like an eagle just rising up in the thermal updraft, just rising up, okay? And if you need that this morning, I'm sure some of you this morning are feeling weak, as I study this chapter, I notice that there's like three steps. The chapter breaks down into like three steps that Isaiah is leading Israel through to wait on the Lord. So let's, let's ask the question, how do we do that Like specifically? How do we wait upon the Lord? And there's three steps I see in this chapter. First, the first step, understand that your iniquity is pardoned as a free gift from the Lord's hand. Look at verses one and two here. God tells Isaiah what to speak to Israel, and look at what he says, verses 1 and 2. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That means the whole Assyria, Babylon thing is over. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned, all of her sins are forgiven. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And that's a puzzling statement. Here's my guess. You can just, this is my opinion for what it's worth. I think what this means is that God has given her twice as much forgiveness as she would ever need for all of her sins. Cause you know it's not talking about punishment here or anything like that, cause it's all about iniquity and pardon. She's received from the Lord's hand double. Double forgiveness for all of her sins. In other words, you've got all the forgiveness that you need for all of your sins, past, present, and future. Blanket, total, perfect, complete forgiveness. That's the first step to waiting on the Lord. Understand, your iniquity is pardoned as a free gift from God. All of your sins are completely forgiven. Now, how is that possible for a just and a holy God to do? Isaiah tells us in what chapter? 53. Okay, we're getting there. Slow but sure. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah tells us, and he he prophesies about the coming of the Messiah, who would pay for our sins himself, Son of God, Jesus Christ, just like we worshiped with those songs this morning, laying everything else aside, being born as a baby, fully God, fully man, and was punished on the cross in your place, in my place, punished for our sins. And so, see, here's the deal. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, I mean, at that moment that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, at that moment, a massive change just takes place between you and God. You are, from that moment on, forgiven. Past, present, future, all your sins completely, 100% forgiven. Now, why is this such a crucial first step for Waiting for the Lord, for receiving strength from God. Well, picture like this, I try to think of an illustration. You're, you're on one side of this canyon, like think about the Grand Canyon, okay? And this is a side where you are in your, in your weakness. And across the canyon, there's another side, and that's where God is with the strength that you need. Okay, so here you are, weak. Across the canyon is God with his strength. And what's keeping you from God and his strength is the canyon of God's justice, namely because of your sin, you can't come to God. You deserve God's punishment. So here you are in your weakness, separated from God's strength by the the canyon of God's justice. Okay? So what has God done? God in his mercy has built a bridge of God's mercy through Jesus Christ, paying for sin. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that bridge from your weakness to God's strength is there. It's the bridge of God's mercy. Now, there's two reasons people don't receive God's mercy. At least two. me just mention two of them that, that pertain to this point. One reason people don't receive God's mercy is because they don't think that there's a bridge there. They don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the bridge of God's mercy which can take you from your weakness into God's strength. And so they just stay on the side of weakness and they, they do meditation and they read poetry and they go shopping and they, they work out okay, and try to get strength that way because they don't see that there's a bridge there. That's one reason. A second reason why people don't receive God's strength is because they think that the bridge is not God's mercy, but you go over this bridge based on what you bring to the table, your righteousness, your goodness, not realizing that the only people who can go over the bridge of mercy are those who are acknowledging that they are in 100% need of God's mercy. Put it like this, unless you understand that you're leaving all thoughts of self-righteousness behind all thoughts of your own goodness behind, unless you understand that the only thing you're bringing to the table is your sin and your neediness, those are the only people that get to walk across the bridge of mercy. You understand that? Total humbling, because this is the truth. I mean, listen, the truth is the only thing you bring before God is your sin and your need. You understand that? There's nothing good that we've done All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So you've got to realize there's a bridge there. And if I try to cross that bridge thinking, well, you know, God owes me this. Or I deserve this. Or I've been pretty good so I can come. The gate will close before the bridge because it's a bridge of mercy. Does that make sense? You have to see there's a bridge there. And it is a bridge of mercy. Which is... Bad news for the proud, okay? But great news when you understand truly the condition of your heart, that I have nothing to recommend me to God. I need mercy. All I bring to the table is need and sin. And he says, exactly, welcome. All who own up to the fact that all you bring to the table is need and sin, that's the qualifications for coming, right? You must realize all you've got is sin and need, and you need my son Jesus Christ as your payment for your sin, you can come freely, welcome. Okay, here we go. So this is the crucial first step. I want to press this point. If you, if you try to seek the Lord, wait for the Lord, thinking, well, okay, God, God kind of owes me now, because I was like in the word this morning, and, and man, I've been going to church. Gosh, hun, how many weeks have we been going to church now? You know, And bah, gate will close. You're not moving across the Bridge of Mercy if you come on that basis. I'm in need. I've sinned against you. There's nothing good in me, in and of myself. You've saved me by your grace. See, then God smiles, and then the bridge is there, and then you move across. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the first step. Understand that your sins, all your iniquity, is pardoned freely from God's hands. That's the first step. Okay, second step prepare your heart by turning from trusting everything else. It's verses 3 through 8. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. Uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And when you do this preparing, verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? It's Isaiah talking. God says, cry this, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty, all all the beauty of the world, everything else that's out there is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand Forever. Okay, on verse three, Isaiah calls people to prepare for the way of the Lord. So who is it that's supposed to prepare for the way of the Lord? And if you've read the New Testament, who prepares for the way of the Lord? John the Baptist. The apostles use this passage here. So this is a prophecy about John the Baptist coming. Okay, he calls the nation, he prepares for Jesus' coming by calling the nation of Israel to repent of their sins. But that's not the only fulfillment of this passage. Many Old Testament prophecies have multiple fulfillments. And you can tell from reading this that Isaiah's contemporaries at, at his time, around, you know, around 700 B.C. at that time period, he's calling them to prepare for the way of the Lord also. And saying that if you do prepare your hearts, the Lord will come with his glory. He will come. He will strengthen you, as he then mentions again in verse 31. So he's calling his contemporaries, prepare your heart, and the Lord will come to you. And how are they supposed to do that? It's by turning from everything else to God alone. Turning everything else that your heart is clinging to, from all those things and then just lay those aside and, and turn to God alone. And the reason they should do that is, he says, because everything else is going to fade. Everything else is going to be gone one day. Fame will be gone. Money will be gone. Possessions will be gone. Popularity will be gone. Earthly comforts will all be gone. And the word of the Lord, displaying the glory of God, will abide forever. So lay it all aside. See, I would guess that some of you have tried to wait upon the Lord Um, But because you've been clinging to something else, nothing's happened. And I've I've heard some of you say, you know, I've I've sought the Lord and and, and nothing's happened. And this isn't always the reason why, but as we've talked, it became clear as we discussed that part of the reason why, because as you were seeking the Lord, you were really clinging to something else besides the Lord. Let me try to illustrate it like this. Let's, Let's say, here's my wallet, okay? And if uh, so I got any money in it? Okay, I got some money. Okay, let's say that that you're, you're clinging to money. I mean, like you're you're very preoccupied. You're feeling weak because you've been clinging to money, and 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 money is like failing you. Okay, you're not able to pay your bills. Very difficult. And so you're you're you're, you're feeling weak because what you're clinging to is failing you. Okay, do you feel that? You do, don't you? I do. Okay, right. So sometimes, all right. So so you're feeling that now. But but here here you need to cling to God, but, but you can't cling to God as long as you're clinging to the money, right? I mean, it's like, ah, I, I've, I've got to get this taken care of. And, and I, you can seek God to get that, but that's not right. First, you've got to lay aside everything else you're clinging to so you can cling to God. And if you're clinging to other things, you're not going to be able to cling to God. You've got to lay those things aside. And so what this means is just in your heart, It means you, you come before the Lord and you say, I want to, I want to lay everything else aside. I'll just like clear my desk of everything else and just have you be here before me. So, so take everything else. I trust, I trust you for my health. I trust you for my job. I trust you for my finances. I'm just going to lay all those things at your feet. I'm going to let go of those and lay those at your feet. And I'm just going to seek you right now. Just you seek you alone. Do you see that? Because as long as you are seeking other things mostly, you're not going to be able to grasp onto God. You've got to lay those other things down and then you can grasp onto God. Do you see that? I know I've done this. I remember a time when we had to sell a house. <laughs> uh, we moved down from Reading to Newport Beach and we needed to sell a house quick. We needed some money. And the market was terrible up there in Reading, country property. And... Uh, I remember walking around UC Irvine, praying for God to have this house sell. And I was, I was like praying like this. It could be a little house in my hand, but you know what I mean, okay, okay. God, I'm seeking you to sell our house. You know, I mean, I, I want you to sell the house. I, am here to talk to you so that the house will be sold. You know, and, and and the more I prayed, the the more weak I got, and the more worried I got, and the more stressed I got. You ever even experienced that? And it wasn't until a couple days later, just dawned on me, Lord. To your house. And may your will be done. I'm still going to pray that you sell it. <laughs> but I'm looking to you now. I'm relying on you. You are in control. You are my God. You are my king. You are glorious. You will never leave me nor forsake me. You love me. And strength came. So I just want to encourage you. Some of you have been frustrated in seeking the Lord because you've been seeking him with your hands gripping other things and you haven't felt like you've been able to connect, that may be why. You'll know it if that's what's going on in your heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so he says, I'll put this stuff somewhere anyway. Um, he says, everything else is going to fade. That helps you realize, you know, houses will fade, jobs will fade, fame will fade, money will fade. Furniture will fade, cars will fade, everything else will fade away, the glory of the Lord revealed, and the word of the Lord will stand forever. I'm seeking you. You are who I need. I mentioned that verse earlier. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where strength comes. So that's the second step. Third step: set your heart on God Himself. By the way, one other thing: if you're seeking the Lord, And you've you've got some area of known, unrepented sin. Obviously, that's going to be an issue, right? Um, I just want to mention that, though. And again, it's not that that you've got to be perfect to come before the Lord because you're not and you never will be the side of heaven. But it's that you've you've said, Lord, help me with this area. You're repenting. You're confessing every area. Help me with this area. Not that you've become perfect because you haven't. Not that you've totally overcome it because that's not the issue, but that you're, you're confessing. Lay that down too. Okay, I wanted to mention that as well. All right, third, set your heart on God himself. This is what Isaiah calls them to preach to each other. Look at verse nine. I love this. Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the city of Judah, behold your God. So Isaiah urges all of Israel and also all of us, tell each other, behold your God. Look at who God is. Behold him. See him. So that's like the third step. First step, understand that all your iniquities, all your sins are forgiven freely through trusting Jesus Christ. There's the bridge of mercy. I'm going to cross it. All I bring to the table is sin and need. Here I go. I'm humbled, but he loves the humble. Here we go. So that's the first step. Second step is prepare your heart by turning away from everything else that you're relying on, that you're trusting in, and set your heart on God alone. And that's the third step. Set your heart on God alone. Set your heart on who he is. And then, to help us do this, and to help Israel do this, in verses 10 through 31, Isaiah gives one of the most amazing descriptions of God found anywhere in the Bible. This is absolutely stunning. Verses 10 through 31. I would encourage you to become very familiar with these verses. Bookmark them. Have them be like your go-to passage when you want to behold God. Verses 10 through 31 are absolutely powerful. So learn these. Let these pages be like tear-stained and, and you know, marked up and circled and dates. God met me on you know, February 13th, 2011 in these verses or whatever you, you want to write in your margin. Because here's what I want us to do. I want us to do this right now. As a church to pray, and to, and to walk through this step. I mean, some of you are feeling very weak this morning. Others of you aren't feeling so weak, but you have pockets, okay, that, that uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's pockets of weakness in all of our hearts. And so I want us to do this this morning, and then let's just see, I, again, I know it's a little bit, you know, we're here and we're doing this as part of the service, and it's not quite the same as if you were kneeling by your bed with the Bible open, you know, with, with just you and the Lord, or maybe you and your wife and the Lord, But but let's ask God to come and do something in our hearts right now. But I want to make this as tangible as I can make it so that this is what Isaiah is encouraging us to do. Again, waiting on the Lord doesn't just mean, okay, I'm going to just kind of go through my day and and I'm waiting on the Lord. I hope he'll strengthen me so, you know, like what's, what's for breakfast and then, you know, go do your work. That's not waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord means you set aside time to understand that forgiveness is yours through Christ alone. Turn away from everything else you've been relying on. Just lay those things down at his feet and trust them to him. And then you set your heart on God. And when you do that, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And so I'm praying that right now as we do this, God is going to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And many of you will sense strength Rising, The the thermal wind of the Spirit from the pages of the Scripture catching your wings and just lifting you in peace and hope and strength. So let's do that. Want to pray for us? And then let's just walk through these three steps. So Lord, I pray right now that you'd come. We want to do what you've called Isaiah to write here. We want to live this in some measure right now so that this afternoon, tonight, this coming week, every time we find our hearts feeling weak, we could wait upon you, wait for you, and experience you giving us the strength that you promised to give here. So I pray that you just come upon us right now. So start just by seeing that your iniquity is completely pardoned as a gift from God's hand through Jesus Christ, just start there don 't don 't assume oh, no, I, I know that no 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 no, get it, get that there is a bridge from your side of weakness to god 's strength over the canyon of god 's justice, and that bridge is god 's mercy in Jesus Christ. What a great gift from God that there 's a bridge, and it 's a bridge of god 's mercy so Rid your heart now, rid your mind now of any thoughts of, I've been pretty good, God owes me, I deserve something good from God here. None of those are true. What we deserve, the scriptures teach us, is is eternal judgment. But God loves us in Christ. And so you're putting your trust in Jesus. Because of that, you're completely forgiven. And you can go over the bridge. So, that's the foundation. So just let that sink into your heart right now. And just talk to God in the quietness of your heart and thank Him right now for the bridge of His mercy given through Jesus Christ. Thank Him. Thank Him just in, in the quietness of your heart right now. Thank Him. And, and humble yourself with the fact that all you can bring to the table here is need and your sinfulness. Let that, let that be a humbling thing. Okay, then second, I know we could take more time on all these, but just for the sake of moving ahead here, prepare your heart by turning from everything else that you've been trusting, relying on, seeking your security in, seeking your identity in. Lay those at Jesus' feet. Just surrender them to him. Let go of those. That's how you prepare your heart. You've got to let go. If there's unconfessed sin, confess that before the Lord right now. Oh, he he loves confession. He will move in because of what Jesus has done and he will cleanse you. He will forgive you. He promises. So let go of the other things that we can tend to cling to. That's how you prepare your heart. So just do that right now. Just let, Let go of those things. Lay them at his feet. Open up your hand. Let go of those things. Just do that. Talk to him about it. Okay, and then finally, I mean, again, we get to take more time there too, but set your heart on God himself. And here's how I want us to do this. I just want us to read through verses 10 through 31. That's why Isaiah wrote these verses, so that it would help Israel and us behold God. And Lord, I pray that as we do this now, these would become alive. These words would become alive. And I pray that as we linger on these words of Scripture, that you would be imparting strength to to every heart that's here. That right now, by a supernatural work of your spirit, strength would come. So let's read these through. These are so powerful. Behold, this is verse 10, The Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Whatever your concerns are God's mightier and he rules over those things he comes with might his arm his strong arm it rules for him behold his reward is with him his recompense before him he will come with blessing with reward with favor he'll come with goodness to you see that behold him verse 11 he will tend his flock Like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms. So we've got this arm ruling in verse 10, powerful. We've got this arm tender in verse 11, gathering the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This amazing combination of awesome power in verse 10 and tender care in verse 11. Okay, we could linger, but gotta move, move ahead. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The answer is God has. And marked off the heavens with a span, like measured the universe. And closed the dust of the earth in a measure. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who's done that? God has. No one else has. God is huge that he would do that. So just let your mind just get blown with how big. God is. He's measured the waters, all the seas, in the hollow of his hand. Verse 13, who has measured, or that Hebrew word might mean directed, the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he, God, consult? And who made him, God, understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer is no one did. God knows everything all the time he's got an infinite bandwidth he knows everything consciously all the time everything he knows you he knows everything about you every need you have he knows verse 15 behold the nations are like a drop from a bucket the nations babylon assyria massive empires china america russia india The nations are like a drop from a bucket before him and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. That may be like, you know, God is not impressed with religious ritual. I mean, you could take all the cedars of Lebanon and burn them as a burnt offering, and God would not be impressed. That would not be enough to impress him all the nations are as nothing before him, they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. So compared to God, the nations, the nations, the empires of the world are nothing. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol. Can to compare him with an idol? <laughs> he gets a little sarcastic here. A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold. He casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. That's important for idols. They want the wood to rot. That'd be really bad for an idol if it rotted. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Idols are just nothing. You've got to make sure that they're nailed upright so they don't fall over. Are you kidding me? Verse 21 Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He's so big, we're so small. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Who changed things in Egypt this last week? God did. God did. Brings kings to nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see, see the stars, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling all of them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he's strong in power, not one is missing. So verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, why do you say, Mercy Hill, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Why do you say that? Your way is not hidden from the Lord. He will do everything for you that's right. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But, but, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You never need to stay weak. You never need to stay weak. Because those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's my challenge, church. Every time this week that your heart gets weak, wait upon the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Earnestly, expectantly seek Him. Understand the cross, turn from everything else, and rely on Him alone. And God will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. Okay, let's stand together. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, come by your power right now. I ask, Lord, that even today, even today, Lord, those here who are feeling very weak, would you have them wait upon you, wait for you? Would you meet them sweetly with your presence, by your spirit? We thank you for the cross, Jesus, that there's a bridge of mercy over Over the Father's, over God's justice, to God's strength. Thank you that you've made that way. And I pray that everyone here this week would know what it means to wait upon the Lord and watch you renew strength. So come and do that for us, Lord, I pray. For the glory of your name, for the good of our hearts, for the good of our families workplaces, the poor, the lost in San Jose. Let us be people that are waiting upon you for strength every day. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.